Commanders, and welcome to episode 61 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm your host, Second Technician Fozza Forrester, and joining us in the Orange Sidewinder this episode are Head of Station Archives, Mr. Colin Ford. Hello, Foz. Lave Station Senior Test Pilot, John Crash Virgo. Greetings, Commanders. And finally, the station's chief bar steward, Mr. Grant, Psycho Cow Wilcott. <laughs> oh, I think we'll leave that one there and just crack on with the show. If you wish, you can join us live. We are hanging outside Lave Station in game. Uh, just join the private group Fozza and you should see us. Uh, we have the live IRC chat, which can be found on the laveradio.com website. Or you can tweet us at Lave Radio or send any questions you have to Facebook and we'll try and answer them towards the show. It's going to be an interesting show tonight. We've got a few topics. Obviously, the first one is going to be those unknown alien artifacts that we people are finding in the galaxy. Uh, we're also going to talk about the sad death of the DDF. We're going to talk about some great stuff in Community Corner and a few other things in between. But just before we get started, let's go around the team and find out what everybody's been up to, starting with Grant. Uh, what have I been up to this week? Well, to be honest, it's been a complete editing week all day, every day trying to get this Dockers episode perfectly finished and ready for its unveiling on Saturday evening this weekend. So, glad to see it's done! I nailed the last cut today, put in the last stupid sound effect this afternoon and compiled it and it's all good and good to go. I've not played Elite. I've not been able to do anything else apart from just chop audio and listen to the same lines again and again. And again, and again. <laughs> and yet it's still funny. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask that. Well, after all this editing, are the jokes you wrote for that doc is still funny or not? Well, not, not that I wrote them, because if I take credit for them, I'm going to end up with an angry email from Simon Winners again. <laughs> 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 but yes, um, they are, they are, some of them are good. And the nice thing about the, the, the editing side of things is you can create a joke with sound that isn't in the script. So you can just add that little bit of comic timing that just... You know, it might even not even be noticed the first time people listen to it, but they might catch it at one point and realise, oh, that that was that was sneaky. So I'm, I've got a few of those in there. So, so what you're saying, you're saying that the you know Simon's writing is saved by your editing process. Is that is that what you're saying, Grant? That's that's entirely true. Of course, it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how much funnier it is with a lot more squelchy noises. <laughs> okay, and this is this is the season finale, isn't it, of Dockers? It is indeed, yes. It is the last in our current series, and then we're going to take a, a little time to review the project and to check with the cast and see who wants to carry on, who wants to develop the character and take some input and then come back in a, a month. or I think we've got a, a, an episode ready and planned for LaveCon midnight on the Saturday night, or as late as we can with people still being awake. <laughs> um, so that will be our kind of, maybe a little taster for season two, but we'll have to wait and see. 
hold on a second, have you not done this completely bass backwards then? Aren't you supposed to ask the cast you know, before the finale who wants to be in the next season? Because if those are people that say that they want to come out of the show, you have a great story around your finale where you can actually just kill them all off. Well, you know, to, to be honest, it doesn't matter. And even when you've got the cast that agree to be there, when it comes to LaveCon, half of them don't turn up. Or, like, Colin has to rush off to go to his bed early. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> so you end up having to sort of do it on the fly anyway. So, you know, it's just, we've got good some good ideas. And, and you know, we certainly don't want to lose track of what Mr. Brubin's up to in the next sort of uh, series, that's for sure. <laughs> Okay, well, you mentioned him there. Colin, what have you been up to this week? Well, uh, various things. Um, Data Slate 5. Um, Alan invited me on Data Slate just to discuss some um, literature, if I could. (laughs) So uh, that was nice, talking science fiction and and, uh, books. Uh, My Type 7 in-game has gone. I got that (laughs) bored with it. I I, I sold it. I've got back to my Explorer Asp. And I am 500, 600 light years away from you all now so <laughs> right so you just sort of basically headed off second star on the left and straight on till morning have you no i've got a target i know exactly where i'm going and i'm not telling anybody just in case some person gets there first i want i want to get to this this particular system before anybody else does fair enough the final thing is that um i've been looking at the miniatures game again mm-hmm. and i think I think if if people are, are interested in in the miniatures game, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a proposal together for Frontier, uh, send it into their licensing department, and get in contact with the um, Fantasy Flight people to try and license their flight path system so that we we could have an elite miniatures game. So that's that's something that I'm I'm going to be put on as a as a side project just to see how it goes. So this is the Elite Miniatures game that you guys play through at the Elite Meet, isn't it? That's right, yes. It, it seemed to go down quite well. Um, I've been refining the, revo- the rules a bit. Uh, my son is still able to beat me, uh, <laughs> which as much of my best efforts, he, he, is, he is a little bit good at it. Or either that or I'm just predictable. So, uh, yes, that's, that's what I'm planning to be doing over the next couple of months. Okay, so you're basically you're tweaking the rules until you get to a stage where you can actually beat your son. How old's your son? Uh, eight. So you're going to tweak the rules until you can beat your eight-year-old son. Is what Cheat and beat an eight-year-old son. <laughs> yes, that's right. At the game. I'd just like to point out, I'd like to beat my son at the game, not in general beat my son. I don't think anybody okay, else was just, going there, fella. But okay. Well, no, you never know. You, you <laughs> never know what these people in the chat room, these very nice people in the chat room, might think. Right, whilst I go in phone child protection services, let's move on to John and see what Crash has been up to in the last week. John! <laughs> well, I think it, anyone who's uh, waiting for the stream on Friday night would know that I was just really, really ill. I spent the entire week practically laid up in bed, so not really done anything interesting. But on the weekend, I did start to feel a little bit better. I managed to get and uh, play with some of the uh, community goals and things like that, uh, and actually play some other games as well, which is unusual for me. But uh, yeah, other than that, I've just been trying to follow up on all these things and uh, like you said the unknown artifacts and all the interesting things happening in the game right now it's quite fun okay so what other games have you been whoring yourself out to this week <laughs> i know it's terrible isn't it terrible um well uh, kerbal space programs recently hit release and they hit release and i wanted to go check it out so i uh, went and had a look at it i think if people are up for it i might stream it again i've had people ask me to stream it again at some point so uh, i might well do it it's really really good now that it's finally hit release 
Okay, so some people won't have known what uh, you know, the Kerbal Space Project is by Scott Manley. So quickly mm. just take us through what, exactly what that game's all about. Oh, it, it's really, really funny. I mean, you kind of, you have these little bobblehead characters, but the whole universe the, they're set in, they run their own space program from start to finish. Now, it is a, an accurate simulation of running a space program, so there's you know, proper aerodynamics uh, considered when you're building these spacecraft. You build them from pieces, you go on missions to get things into orbit, take tourists and things like that. Lots of fun little things, um, but it's all done with these cute little bobblehead characters that just scream with glee when the rockets are going well and uh, just look extremely concerned when they start breaking up. <laughs> it's great fun. How much does it cost to buy the game now it's released? Um, I, I bought it a long time ago, so I'm not aware of how much it is on Steam. I just realised it was up there on Steam and thought, oh, I've got to up- upload the p- uh, get the patch and try it out. So I'm not sure how much it is on Steam at the moment. Oh, cool. So if people want to check it out, it's the it's Kerbal? How do you spell Kerbal, Kerbal? Space Program. Uh, K-E-R-B-A-L. And check it out on Steam. Uh, Scott Mann is also obviously a massive fan of Elite Dangerous. You'll probably have seen him around on some of the, the streams and interviewing David Braben at some of the conventions and stuff. So, yeah, great game. And check it out if you've got the time, which you probably shouldn't have because you should all be playing Elite Dangerous. Crash. <laughs> it's it's £29.99. Great. Cheers for that, Grant. Um, from my side of things, I'm still in my Type 9, but I've upgraded the thrusters and things, and I'm starting to slowly... It, it was definitely not love at first flight with my Type 9, but I'm slowly getting there. She's she's not a bad ship. You know, it's very easy to have uh, some of your TV shows like Flash or Gotham on one monitor and fly your Type 9 on your... Yeah, your milk run backwards and forwards and earn lots of cash um, on the other monitor. So, I'm, you know, for that perspective, I'm really quite enjoying the Type 9 now. Uh, I wouldn't say it's exactly sort of fly by the seat of your pants excitement. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, as I said last week, it's definitely the sort of ship that you will always keep in your, you know, in your hangar. So, mm, I'm quite enjoying it. But most of this uh, week was spent uh, getting ready for uh, the uh, Chris... Billington uh, Memorial Flight, which we'll come on to later in the program. Um, but that was quite a good event that I was taking part in this week, uh, Grant and I. And uh, Colin, I think you tried to go there. John, did you get involved in the Memorial Flight as well? I think you yeah, did, yeah, you? I was there. Yeah, I was there. Yeah. So we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, but just for the moment, we're going to have a quick advert and then come back to the development news. Greetings Commanders, Ambassador Crash here, and you are listening to Lave Radio, the hottest show this side of Dizzo. Join us live every Tuesday at 8.30pm BST for the latest news on Elite Dangerous and the fantastic community behind it. You can also chat to me live every Friday at 8pm BST on the official community Twitch stream, Crash Landing. Lave Radio, crash tested and approved since the year 3200. Okay, so this week in the development news, we're going to go through the uh, newsletter and we're going to talk a bit about uh, Michael Brooks's new crime and punishment segment. Uh, David Braben in his Ask Me Anything alluded to the fact that Michael Brooks had uh, an announcement or an update specifically on crime and punishment uh, that he was going to come on to uh, and didn't want to steal any of his thunder in the Ask Me Anything. So uh, let's start off with that. I take it everybody's read the crime and punishment update? (laughs) Oh, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah I didn't yes, think you yes. had grabbed that. <laughs> okay, well let's uh, let's start off with the top then. Um, let's go with um, fines. So fines will now take seven days before they mature. Fines will now take seven days before they mature into bounties. So basically, it gives you a little more time to clear them off. So you can no longer just go and straightforward pay them as soon as you've done anything bad. Uh, what do you reckon, guys? Good, bad, ugly? That's good. Yeah, I think it makes sense. It's good because it means when you have, uh, when you're doing trading in the T9, you do pick up the occasional fine for getting <laughs> to the docking slot without the permission, and it takes you so blooming long to turn. And when you're in that kind of farming mode, that uh, trade run mode, you do not go from anything other than refuel. <laughs> commodity market and launch so it's not until things start shooting at you and things say wanted that you go oh crap I had a fine so this is this is a good thing because at the end of your session you can go right now go and pay off all my fines and that's good so before they turn into a bounty and before everybody opens up and starts shooting at you basically yes yeah yeah okay I'll, I'll give you that um, what about the fact that you can't just go in and pay off bounties like you could before I'm oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting myself confused here. So fines will now take seven days before they mature into bounties, which is fabulous stuff. Bounties will come on to in just a second. Um, what, has anybody else got anything to say about the, the fact that fines are going to take a while before they mature into bounties? John? Yeah, I, I think it makes sense to do that, definitely. It, it's one of those things where it just felt a little bit too harsh that something so minor would suddenly become like a, a major system-wide bounty. It was like, yeah, that just seems a little bit overkill. So I think it's, it's a good balance. Colin? Um, yeah, it, uh, it, it's it's okay. I'm 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 not too concerned about the uh, the fines at the moment, mostly because I'm I'm a good person and don't I don't seem to get get any of them. Okay, okay. So <laughs> let's just leave the the white and the white boy alone and go on to uh, bounties. So bounties can now only be given by minor factions. Obviously, with the introduction of power play, we've got the intermediate factions uh, of the powers that are coming into the game, and obviously the major factions. So at the moment, uh, bounties can only be given by the minor factions. That makes perfect sense. And bounties can no longer be paid off straight away. Bounties now take a week before they can be paid off. This is, uh, this is a big thing for, I think, a lot of people. Uh, John, what do you reckon? Yeah, I think it, it was something that was sorely needed. There was too many people were exploiting that little loophole where you could build up your bounties and things like that. So it makes absolute sense that if you're going to sit there and uh, be be naughty and you know frequently do these kind of things, that you you need a bit of a heavier punishment. So uh, yeah, I think for those you end up getting the odd little bounty and they realise, yeah, okay, I'll go pay it off at some point. That's fine. But those ones that were trying to desperately kind of get to the top ranking slots, I think that's really going to stop that kind of evil behaviour <laughs> Grant well I mean I don't know if I'm not under maybe misunderstanding misunderstanding this but bounties only given by minor factions that's sort of well you know, that's going to limit your wanted status to a system to, or to maybe a couple of systems rather than being wanted across the whole of the imperial space is that correct Yes, at the moment. Okay. They're talking about stretching it out to more uh, interstellar bounties at a later stage. But yeah, at the moment, it's only the minor factions. Okay, you know, because that causes a little bit of concern to me when you are collecting bounties, then you're going to be collecting bounties, or is this purely bounties assigned to players? Uh, not sure, actually. I'm not sure if that was uh, cleared up. I think up. it's just players, yeah. Mm. Yeah, well, it's got to be just players, to be honest. 
And not being able to pay your bounty off for a week, that doesn't make any sense to me at all in any way at all. Why? Why a delay in paying your bounty off? I, I think it's to prevent people from sitting there and creating these, uh, these you know, they, get, they make these little pockets where they get a huge bounty and they'll get someone to cash it in and then they'll pay it off sort of thing. You know, it, it's, it's to stop that exploitation going on. But that's what I mean. How does not being paying it off for a week help that? Well, I think it's 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 another one. It's kind of an anti-griefing thing, really, isn't it? It's to stop people from if if you've got that bounty on your head for a long period of time, then you can't come in, grief someone, and then suddenly just pay your bounty off. You've got to you've got that on your head for a long period of time, so you can't uh, just kind of that kind of coincidental griefing goes out the window in that kind of respect. Right. No. See, that's. I know what you mean. I mean, if you go in and pay your bounty off, it gives people a week. So this is a, a obviously a mechanic to help bounty hunters, but it's not going to stop people amassing massive bounties, though, is it? Because they're going to be able to amass the same massive bounties, and and people are going to be able to claim it on them. It's just that they're not going to be able to clear that status themselves, with you yeah. know, by nipping into station and paying off the bounty and going right. That's me. I'm clean. It wasn't me. Can you shoot me back? Nah, nah, nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a, it's basically just for those people that think, oh, he's just a, a player. I'll come in, I'll just wipe him out, and then I'll just get, as soon as I get to the station, I'll pay off my bounty, and everything will be fine. I think it's supposed to just give people a little bit more pause for thought as to whether or not you know doing that illegal action is actually worth having a bounty on you for a week. That means you're going to have to creep around the system or you know, mm-hmm. creep around your trading hub. It, uh, you're not just going to be able to sort of wipe the slate clean as soon as you dock up, which I, I think does work. But again, as always with these things, I think it's going to be a balancing act. It might even need to be more severe than they're going to be. It's a bit no, scary. Well. It's a bit scary because I'm just thinking about when you're doing community goals, the number of times that somebody or an NPC flies in front of your lasers when you're in battle is frequently. I mean, when I was doing a community goal in a, tra- in a, in a, a sort of combat wing, the number of times in one session that you would be saying, Oh, are you leaving? Yes, I just shot in blooming the system security. <laughs> I did that just last night. <laughs> and, you know, that that's common as anything. There's no real way of avoiding those even if you're using gimbals because these ships fly into your fire path and i think that could become a slight sour point in that otherwise i agree with that rule i think somewhere i did read that they were going to try and twitch the um the friendly fire uh, mechanic as well to make it a little bit more um yeah ease it off a little bit just to make it a little bit more forgiving when it comes to these things as well yeah i think you're right there falls us um something was mentioned lower down yeah yeah. In, so, in most of the games we played in uh, in sort of uh, retro leave, we found that <laughs> you could shoot them once or twice before they'd really had enough at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the way in retro leave you you just have to test that mechanic with every game we played. It's like how many times can I shoot an NPC before something actually happens to me? Uh, okay, so the other thing, of course, is that you are going to have to creep around because uh, that timer, that seven-day timer or that week's timer, uh, will actually reset if you get yourself into more trouble before it's completed. So if you're on day six, and as Grant says, if you just happen to be shooting a rock and an NPC comes and stays in front of your lasers for a prolonged period of time, that bounty will actually increase and the timer will be reset for another seven days. Uh, which if you've been creeping around for six days, I think could be rather uh, frustrating, shall we say. Yeah, but how often is that going to happen? How often are you just going to be shooting at a rock 
and then suddenly someone flies right in front. Now, You've I can under- played Elite Dangerous, haven't you, Colin? <laughs> yeah, I can understand it if you're going into into combat zones and, and things like that. But when I'm I'm flying around the resource extraction sites, normally the ships don't come anywhere near my my ship. So uh, I I don't think that that's really a problem. I am completely in agreement with these last three points. I think these bounties that you cannot pay off for a week so you are wanted for a week is a great anti-griefing strategy. And when you remember going back to ethics and credits on Alpha 2, there was a point where no one would pirate anymore because as soon as you got a bounty, that's it. Everybody was on you faster than you could you could deploy your weapons. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so um, how do these bounties get removed then? So being killed uh, and the bounty being claimed, that's one way of clearing the bounty. Uh, if you die, but the bounty is not detected, then the bounty becomes dormant and is only reactivated if you are scanned by the authority that has the bounty on you. So if you get the bounty at Lave Station, uh, you die, it becomes dormant. And if you're flying into Lave Station and they do a security scan on you, then that bounty will reactivate and become active again. Um, so let's have a look. What else? Uh, if you survive for the seven days with the bounty on your head, it is then marked as a dormant bounty as well. Make sense to everybody? Yeah, yeah. fine, fine yeah. to me, I think. Yeah, I think I understand it. Because of it being limited to the small uh, sort of region that you're in, that it's not going to be game-busting to have a bounty on you for seven days. It's just going to be that if that happens to be your favourite haunt, you're just going on a little holiday. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so all bounties, uh, when removed, are marked as legacy fines. Now, this is new to the game. Uh, these never expire and are added to the rebuy cost if you have to restart in a station within that bounty's jurisdiction. What do you guys oh. reckon to that? Ouch. <laughs> there are a few people that I know that, that we've seen, uh, would if they have to rebuy their ship, in, in somewhere and they've massive they've, they've accrued a massive bounty that's them straight down to the sideways isn't it well that's the question is it i mean you obviously have insurance for your ship is yeah. it obvious is it going to be obvious where these legacy fines goes insurance that costs you two million however your legacy fines are going to cost you five million so therefore you're going to be back down to absolute zero that's is that what definitely I'm, going to has is that, is that that's how it's what going to i'm work? seeing that's what i think it is it's going to be which, which, if you think about it, that might cause a problem with people who are wanting to pirate, because you know every time you 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 agree you you cure a bounty for firing on a, an innocent trader, uh, even if you don't kill them, that's still a bounty that will be added, and you can those fines will will add up. I would have thought. Yeah, definitely crash. I think the important thing is there is is all of these rules together will make it work in a more sensible way. Like they, we said earlier that they're relaxing the friendly fire um, rules. So if you are trying to role play that piracy uh, kind of gameplay and you just take a few pot shots at a, a human player and it doesn't count as a uh, as a, a, a you know a fire incident, you won't immediately accrue a fine or a bounty on them. So I think. You can still role play the whole piracy thing without getting too heated and turning into a bounty or a problem, but at the same time, it stops people from doing that really 
evil gameplay that we we don't want to see where uh, you know people <laughs> are kind of end up just doing whatever the hell they want because there's no real punishment so i think it it, it kind of it raises the cap of the worst punishment you can have but it also it's kind of making the lower end of punishment a little bit more fair i think well i think this is sort of a really a really important mechanic that this is because Okay, we're talking about it being a very strong stand against piracy in the kind of authority areas. So what it's really doing is it's forcing piracy into the anarchy systems where you can fire at will without accruing any bounties or any sort of wanted status. So you're going to see that natural um, difficulty for the likes of a group to pirate a known system like Lave with a, a strong government type that's not anarchy they're going to find themselves in a lot of bother, so they're going to slowly drift to start taking over the likes of these anarchy um, sectors and, and, and systems, so that um, it's going to be, you know, kind of... It's going to put the universe the way it should be. Yeah, I think you're right there. But Colin, you raise a good point in terms of if you wanted to do the whole pirate lifestyle and pirate the NPCs, how is it that you can do that without racking up more bounties than you can actually make in terms of profit? Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole point, because um, it, there will be players who want to do the piracy lifestyle, uh, and it's, if, 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 yeah, even if you just knock off a, uh, an NPC and you, you just basically say, right, that's another 300 credit fine, that's another 300 credit fine, you're, you're going to end up with, before you know it, um, several thousand credits onto your rebuy cost. Now, is that rebuy cost always going to be there, or is it just going to be for your next ship? Ah, but but Colin, Colin, if you are killing the NPCs, you're not pirating right. <laughs> you should be using the limpets. That's what you should be doing. That that's the that's the thing that Frontier are trying to get us to do it the right way. You know what I mean? If you're if you're killing your targets, that's not the most effective way of of pirating because you're going to be wasting that money acquiring bounties and fines and all that kind of stuff. The best way to do it is to find those uh, targets which don't have shields on and fire the limpets at them. That's that's what you should be doing to kind of minimise your financial impact of of performing the legal illegal activity but at the same time getting the best cargo that that's how you should really be doing it and that's where they they want to try and encourage that gameplay to be to be that piracy in the nice way if that makes sense <laughs> but also stopping people from just outright getting the guns out and start shooting which is not really how they want people to do it yeah but most of the ships that i've seen that you really want to pirate they've got shields you are going to have to shoot them you, you have to take that hit. If they've got good enough cargo, that's why you check your cargo scanner first. Is it worth it? Mm. Uh, I, th I, I do think when it comes to piracy, I, think, I do think there is something, a little bit of an issue with NPCs. I would like it if you could actually broadcast a sort of R, drop your cargo kind of thing to NPCs. <laughs> yeah. And then they, could, they, they can <laughs> see what you're doing and, 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 and decide to drop that. with something up. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you can only do that. You actually, you actually want a, an hour drop your yeah, cargo? Not of just course you do. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good point. That was something that was talked about that we'd have that option to. Uh, kind of say I'm going to commit piracy on you and that was one of the things that was discussed a long time ago but you at least want something so firing near an NPC or after interdicting them or something that they might get 
scared enough to start dropping cargo Um, because at the moment it seems rare that they might do that Um, but yeah you want something which is more obvious kind of hey you drop your cargo and I'll let you go sort of thing you want something like that yeah that that yeah, that, that, that never that, that's gets put into saying. game. I desperately need the Colin Ford template for voice attack. Or <laughs> yeah. uh, drop your canisters. <laughs> Hailing frequencies open. <laughs> um, okay, so all in all, we think that yeah, obviously the tweaking uh, to come. I'm sure about these things, but uh, John, you think it's 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 forcing the player base to try and do the uh, you know, do the piracy and do the the crime. Uh, the the crime career in the way that frontier developments want us to do it yeah i think that's absolutely right is you know they they want to try and draw that that separation between people that are just outright being jerks and shooting at people for no reason and people that want to role play that that style okay well last couple of points uh bounties are going to be capped uh, per minor jurisdiction so even if you're a complete um, arsewipe at lave you know that you will be able to get to a point where you know, the lave station or the lave system can no longer bankroll all the bounties that are on your head so i don't know what if it's been said what that cap's going to be i think it was touted it's going to be something like a million credits is that right i think it's about a million per minor faction yeah yeah, so you know, in theory, once you hit that 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 ceiling, uh, you can just continue to be a bad guy as much as you want without incurring any further uh, fiscal penalties. Are uh, which sure? kind of makes sense? Are you sure it's going to work in that respect? That it's going to cap the amount of bounty you can raise in yourself, rather than continuing to accrue a legacy fine. Uh, all I've got is that bounties are going to be capped per minor jurisdiction. I don't think they've gone into more detail than that at the moment. Because it wouldn't make sense. That's not a, a, okay. I suppose that is maybe an incentive for piracy, but I'm thinking on the lines of these people that you know like to amass the huge bounties. They can't do that, so then they just behave badly and don't give a, a toss because they've got the maximum, you know, bounty in that system. Whereas, yeah. okay, remove the bounty, you know, keep the bounty maximum, which means that they can't be used for farming credits and that kind of exploit, and then wiping their commander and coming back in, but. If you keep the legacy fines going in the background, like, you know, after seven days that becomes dormant, it becomes a legacy fine, you're back to zero balance and start accruing again. Yeah, but even if they did that with the legacy fines, if you're talking about people that are using the exploits and are just wiping their commanders and starting off with a new commander, those legacy legacy fines won't make a difference to them either. Well, no, but it's 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 just that having the the penalty still being there. So when you build up a large legacy fine because you are a, a successful pirate, you're going to have huge dormant fines, aren't you? You're going to have huge legacy fines because you're a successful pirate who's got away with it and hasn't been killed. So you then get to that point where you've made your millions, but if you were to lose a ship, it's a scary prospect. It adds that risk of you know piracy, the, the true risk of piracy, which is having to pay that fine at some point and it catching up. But if it stops at the same amount that the bounty's capped to, then you could you know say it's a, say your top bounty is a million credits. And you've got maybe 10 systems you've got a million credits in, and you can be as nasty and unpleasant as you want in those systems without that amount going up, without it affecting you negatively. Okay, yeah. there's, that's 10 million pounds that somebody could get for shooting you. That's great. And what you don't want is it going up to 100 million and you just drop your shields and let them shoot you. But for you as a player, that penalty should continue to grow. So I suppose if it was to cap at a million, um, as a totally guess figure, 
and you're then after seven days that goes dormant and becomes a legacy fine and then you can raise another million fine on top you know bounty on top and then that'll go dormant and become a legacy fine you have a two million pound legacy fine or two million credit legacy fine hiding in your background and you could continue to do it so that conceivably after a couple of weeks of very bad behavior you might have the likes of 50 or 60 million in legacy fines but only a one million pound credit bounty so I suppose that kind of does work if it's going to work in that way. I'm just thinking if you have somebody who can cap their bounties, they can just go around collecting, you know, a million credit bounties and all the systems and then behaving as they wish without any further deterrent to them to stop behaving that way. Colin? Yeah, well, I was just thinking, I mean, where does this make the kill warrant? This is where the kill warrant scanner comes in, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So you scan somebody who's got, say, 10 systems each with a million in. That's you've got 10 million credits in bounty, isn't it? Uh, yeah, again, it was something when, when they talked about this, they said that the kill warrant scanner um, isn't working in that respect yet, um, oh. but it's something that logically they would look at uh, and implement to do something like that, and possibly even... Um, well, I don't know, actually, I'm probably making that up about uh, getting it so that people can get the legacy fines, but certainly um, getting fines from different minor factions... Uh, and collect, claiming those bounties uh, is something that the kill warrant scanner, you would imagine, yeah, that's that's its role. Yeah. I think the legacy fines are purely a penalty amount on the player upon death. Yeah. That's not something that you're going to have to... I think probably there'll be a mechanic for paying it off in-game, so you don't have to pay it off at the point of death, but... Um, it's one of these mechanics where it's got to continue to penalise a, a player who plays in a particularly negative way. Obviously, if you're a pirate and you go to an anarchy system, you've got free reign. You can take out anybody you want and it will never accrue a bounty. So we're not talking about removing the ability for pirates to make their money. It's just about if someone is sitting in lave with a group of 10 friends, behaving badly, taking out all commanders at willy-nilly, or even if their friend's called Billy, it could be willy-nilly Billy, whoever they take out at that particular <laughs> oh, time. If they continue to grief these players, then that bounty's going to reach that cap, one million, and you want to dissuade them. So they might have in the back of their head, well, you know, it's now stopped at a million, I can't get any more than a fine of a million. But if that legacy fine in the background continues to accrue, then it's a little bit more dissuasive. But I don't know how they're going to do it. We'll have to wait well, and see. It'll certainly force everybody to ridicule then, won't it? Yeah, definitely. Certainly in our system of the galaxy. Uh, okay, the next one, uh, the final one, is there's a new crime of ramming within the no-fire zone. Now, I'll be honest, I thought this was an answer looking for a problem, but from reading around, it seems that actually there's a few people out there who are getting quite hot under the collar about people ramming them whilst they're trying to dock or big Type 9s blasting them out of the way when they're coming through the uh, the letterbox. So Frontier Development have put in a, um, a less than 100, is it metres per second? 100 metres per second. 100 um, yeah, so 100 metres per second uh, you have to be. If you hit someone at less than 100 metres per second, you're fine. Anything over 100 metres per second, you get charged with the crime of ramming. Um, now, looking at it, the, the gear down mechanic should also limit the ship to less than 100 metres per second anyway. So if you're geared down, you should be fine. Um, but that's not really been the big part about this story. The big part about this story is the out story is the outcry that came from a certain element of the community and led to the protest goats. Uh, Grant, take us through the protest goat. 
Well, that wasn't what I was coming in. I was going to come in and saying, have you ever tried docking a T9 with your undercarriage down? It is not particularly easy. And part of the joy of having a T9 is when you see a Sidewinder NPC giving a wee <laughs> friendly nudge into the toast track. They're taking this away from us. From uh, okay, hold on. So basically <laughs> the crime is about because you are being ramming Sidewinders into the side of the docking port. Is that right? <laughs> so this is, uh, this, is, this, is, this is all about you, in other words. I think it might I, be. Sidewinders, Cobras, I, and, and, and the occasional T6 is quite fun to talk <laughs> as well. I, I, I may have done that to a commander or two in my Type 7, which I'd like to apologise for now. <laughs> oh, God, where has general, where is sort of honesty and, and courtesy and chivalry gone in this galaxy? You I did say you? sorry in the global bull tat, uh, global tat, global chat, but unfortunately it, it exploded at that point. Yeah, well, oh the, no! The ED protest goat is the direct response to a little thing that a little game that uh, Kate Russell had come up with on her stream, which is essentially this kind of uh, what would you call it? destruction derby. Uh, if you have not seen them, if you've not seen a destruction der- derby, it is one of the most amazing things to watch. Uh, I know that Mad Dog has it on his stream. Kate Russell does it a lot as well. Where you go into the slot, uh, you go to the around the slot. That little indentation in the station creates their arena, and they all go into it and they all fly around with their shields off. And the winner is the last one who's alive. So it's encouraging people to do this kind of, you know, destruction derby, knock each other into the walls, go really fast and stuff. And it's hysterical to watch. And and watching it from outside the slot and seeing it going on, it's kind of like watching micro machines being played. <laughs> it is brilliant. But of course, this rule coming in would put a complete end to this ge- this game that they've created and they love it and and you know what it's great fun and maybe we should try it one night and uh, see how we get on with it <laughs> and yes it led to um, yeah a lot of uh, barmy people uh, clubbing together <laughs> oh you are kidding <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay you guys stop bleating and let's just get on with the rest of the show eh uh, no, the, the goats. So basically, Frontier Developments were bombarded with pictures of goats uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, all sorts of uh, social media to the point where they had to back down. And they said, uh, what they're going to do is they're going to get some clever coder folks, but there should be a workaround where there is actually a button uh, that you can select on your ship to switch off uh, reporting crimes against me. So as long as everybody who's in these destruction derbies uh, make sure that their ship is set to to not reporting crimes against me, uh, all the participants should be able to crash each other quite happily. Uh, if they crash into a spectator, however, that's a different thing completely. Um, but yes, so uh, Frontier basically says, we'll do this, stop sending us pictures of goats. So the power of the community in play again. Yes, uh, it has made uh, quite a lot of the uh, uh, the press, which was quite amusing. Uh, we They had... Uh, on PC Gamer massively uh, and uh, quite a few other sites which was interesting to see so much hassle suddenly appear in the comments about goats <laughs> I think I think it's a really positive I mean it's a positive slant again it's okay it's a rule coming in that affects some people's sandbox play so rather than stop you know blazing their own trails they've decided to bring in the goats and you know spam their way back into it now I am sitting back and waiting with anticipation for the first offline goat. <laughs> <laughs> but we wouldn't be able to see it. 
<laughs> let's <laughs> not, let's not give anybody in. any ideas. Um, let's go on. Uh, we have already mentioned it, that coming later to the crime and punishment, there is this idea of interstellar bounties, which is going to be exactly the same as the minor uh, factions ones, but apply to the uh, the larger factions over a larger, wider area. Um, that will be coming in at some point in the future, which yeah, to me makes perfect sense. Okay, well, that's it for the crime and punishment update. Unless anybody else has got anything they want to pick up on that. No, okay. Um, other things in the developed news, we have the, the Mac and PC have joined up for beta testing. Um, Grant, you've got a Mac. Have you installed uh, Elite Dangerous on it? No, not as yet. Not as yet. It's not quite in the position where I can do that yet. I'm hoping hoping to at some point before it comes out in full, re- comes out in full release. So, uh, <laughs> oh, Colin... Now the doc is done. Now the doc is editing is, is is over. I should be able to spend some time uh, messing around in that. Okay, we well should be able to join Colin because Colin, I know you've installed it on your Mac, haven't you? Yeah, mine's only a, a, a tiny Mac Mini. Uh, it doesn't even hit the basic requirements uh, graphically. That is, it, it manages with the processor and the memory just. Uh, but I am pleased to say that as long as you can put up with the graphic settings all to- turned down to absolute zero, it still plays okay. It can still can still manage about uh, forty frame, uh, thirty to forty frames a second, uh, even when flying about. So um, that's actually looking quite good if if my Mac Mini can can handle it. Um, uh, I have played it on the on the multiple uh, where we've got the PC and the, and the Macs uh, playing together, um, and it just plays the same as normal Elite Dangerous. I don't think there's anything that you could turn around to someone and say, "Right, this is a this is." You can tell that person's playing using a Mac. So. I mean, yeah, there's obviously no giveaway about a ship that's painted with a great big sort of PC logo above it or anything like that. But the the whole instancing seems to work absolutely fine. You've seen other players that you'd assume we must be on the PC. Uh, well, you see, this is the thing. I have no idea whether or not they're on the, pack of the Mac of the PC. Um, but all I can say from my observation is that all the ships seem to be behaving in exactly the same way as they have in... Uh, the fully PC version so um, fingers crossed we'll have a whole load of Mac players although I did like the fact that they decided to show the differences between PC players and Mac players because Mac players they said oh look there's a nice shiny clipper Imperial clipper doesn't that look nice and shiny oh and he's a dirty viper for you PC players bias I think (laughs) that was exactly what I was going to (laughs) say sorry oh dear I think we've lost Foz for the moment we've lost the host yeah. We, we can talk about him now, then. <laughs> do you think I guess so. So, Crash, do you want to talk about... Oh, hello. It was that mysterious artifacts kicked in again. That's what it was. Yeah. Crash, do you want to talk about this? Um, these cast shaders, which were... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought I'd, um, I'd add a little piece in there. So the uh, one of the other things that was in the, the update, uh, one of the bug fixes that the guys have been put in for uh, the juddery jerkiness that we've seen approaching planets in Super Cruise. Now, I've kind of seen it intermittently myself, and I know it's, it seems worse for some players than it is for others. It's one of those really difficult bugs to nail down, and one of the things that Michael commented on that he thinks uh, they've, they've got a fix for one part of it, which is to do with the way that they were caching shaders. Now, uh, just a little bit of an FYI for anyone who's not really up to speed with graphics technology. The shaders are effectively tiny little pieces of program which you know work out the color of pixel for example or the position of a of a particular element in the in the game um 
so you can imagine for the the planets, they're quite complicated objects, lots of procedural generation techniques layered on top of each other there to uh, get the effect of the surface working. So some big, complicated uh, pixel shader programs going on there. Now, the fix that Michael Brooks was talking about was this idea that caching is... Um, not working effectively in the way that they've currently got it, and they think they've got a fix in for that now. Now, caching, uh, what it does is pixel shader programs have to be compiled at runtime of your game. They can't be stored as a file. Um, they store the source code with the game, and then depending on whatever your computer hardware is, your particular GPU and CPU setup, it gets compiled at runtime uh, to run that program natively on your machine. Uh, now, the caching actually goes and stores those little program files off to disk, and it can pull them back in as and when they're needed and then that uh, saves the compilation time on the CPU. Now you can imagine if everything's, if your GPU is having to wait for your CPU that can cause a lot of stutter going on so that's one of the fixes they think which is, uh, is going to solve that. Hopefully more to come as well. So is that the sort of stuttering that we would see around the, the planetary rings and the asteroid yeah. belts? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as I was saying, it's, it's this kind of very, very complicated program on the on the planetary surfaces, the cloud volumes and the, the multiple layers of effects going on there. Very complicated programs. And I think what they were saying was happening was uh, these shader programs were getting compiled. And then on the next execution, it, it would think that that program was slightly different to the last time and it would recompile it again. And, you know, it was kind of wasting CPU time compiling these programs over and over again instead of going going off and getting the previously compiled version from the disk and bringing it back into memory. So hopefully that will solve the problem for uh, a lot of people's systems. Obviously, it is the first attempt to, to do that. Uh, it's going to work for a lot of systems, but everybody's PC is completely different. So there's, there's probably going to be some edge cases still that need working on. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, certainly that's the only time I've ever actually seen a drop in frame rates has been sometimes mm -hmm. around the updates where I've been flying around asteroids or flying around those planetary rings. And that's the only time my GPU's actually stuttered under the game. So if that fixes it, awesome stuff. Um, speaking about awesome stuff, just quickly go into a little bit of the newsletter from this week and uh, talk about the peak of the week. Uh, the first time we've actually seen the Diamondback cockpit and also the explanation about what function that particular ship is going to serve in-game. And it's going to be Explorer Stroke Combat, which is the first time apart from, you'd say, the ASP that we've seen an Explorer Combat ship in the game. Uh, you guys excited about this? To me, it feels like an ASP light, to be honest. <laughs> like a Bud Light. Yeah, like a Bud Light. It's ASP light. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th I think it's, it, it looks quite good. Um, the inside of the cockpit looks uh, very, well, typically Lacon, very sort of brutal and, and functional. Uh, I did think that um, it's going to be interesting to see how it compares against the... Uh, uh, <laughs> The, the ASP for as far as exploring is concerned. Uh, yeah, you can also look at the design and think, yeah, that does look like um, somebody in a vulture and somebody in an ASP got together and that was their offspring. So, <laughs> so she was just saying it's basically it's the mongrel offbreed of an asp and, uh, and a vulture ship. That's what it is. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's the best way to describe it in my mind. You're a very sick puppy, Mr. Ford. A very sick puppy indeed. Okay, anything else from the newsletter that people want to pick up with before we hit the first, second advert break uh, and before we go into our main topic? No? Okay, great stuff. 
Natural remedies have always been some of the galaxy's finest, so when we discovered a wholly natural way of slimming down and reducing your appetite, we had to share it with everyone. Harnessing the amazing powers of our native parasitic life, we've solved an age-old problem. Vegas Slimweed has been used by settlers of the region for decades with undeniable results and significant health benefits. If you think that Vegas Slimweed could be the solution you're looking for, speak to your doctor today. Traveling with Vegas Slimweed ingested may constitute smuggling. Please check before your journey and declare yourself at customs for internal search. Failure to digest does not constitute grounds for reimbursement. Side effects may include but are not limited to increased blood pressure and heart rate, insomnia, nervousness, blurred vision, restlessness or headache. Some forms of parasite may cause stomach side effects like constipation, dry mouth, nausea or vomiting. A small sample of patients exhibit full body paralysis, catatonic state and internal hemorrhaging. Parasite must be purged before pupation, else death will occur. Hi, I'm Trent Stephen Findlist Jr. and I'm here to tell all you pilots about a great new service. Take a listen to my friend, Pete. My name is Pete and I'm a long distance haulier. I drive a Puma shipping farm machinery from Leasty to Sawayo. I love my family and I don't mind being a hard-working blue-collar dad, but I'm tired of seeing my family grow old in front of my eyes. Every time I make the run there and back, I lose 15 days in hyperspace. My family is starting to notice that they're getting older and I'm not. My wife had a baby last week, did a week of shifts and now my kids got teeth. I wish there was some way my family could get old at the same speed as me. There is, Pete. How? By buying into my new service, Findlist Cryogenics. We aim to put the freeze on the premature ageing of your family. The process is simple. Our unique family centres allow you to drop off your loved ones on the way to work. Simply hire the number of cryogenic pods you need and keep your family asleep while you fly among the stars. We ensure synchronicity with your flight patterns so they spend the same time awake that you spend in the cockpit. And when you get home, bingo! Your family is the same age as you. Never lose family time in hyperspace again. We guarantee that you'll never miss another birthday, anniversary or funeral. Wow, Trent. That sounds great. Where do I sign? Simply put your credit card details into our special webpage under the hashtag WeFreezeYourLove. We'll take care of the amounts. No need to worry about that. It's so simple. I can't wait to keep my family in a secure block of ice. It's a weight off my mind. Findalist Cryogenics. Now at your local spaceport. Findalist Cryogenics. Because the family that grows old together goes cold together. Okay, and we've got a couple of points to discuss in the main topic this week. We're going to talk about the announcement of the closure of the Design Discussion Forum. Was it Design Discussion Forum or Design Decision Forum? It's been that long since we used it, I've completely <laughs> forgotten. Design Decision Forum, I think. That's what I thought it was as well. Um, yeah, basically the idea is that yeah, the DDF is going to be wrapped up uh, and closed down as part of uh, a change in work practices at Frontier Developments. Now, uh, we might as well just get stuck straight into it. How does everybody feel about the closure of the DDF? Is it something that was bound to happen due to the way that Frontier now was sort of making the game? Is it something that you know shouldn't have happened? Is it something that was going to is something that's going to be sorely missed? Is it something that we're glad to see the back of? Let's start with <laughs> let's start with Crash. <laughs> you blew it up. You crazy. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> no, I think it's a shame. I mean, I, I wanted it to carry on and be more than it uh, started off. But I think uh, Sandro has, has made the right decision there to tell us that, hey, it's it's not really uh, going on the way that they thought it might, might go. And, you know, we've kind of got to the end of that lifespan of what it was functionally achieving. We, we've got some really good discussions early on, some really good stuff that uh, that went into the uh, to the design notes and uh, a lot of those things have reached into the game and everything. But at the end of the day, there was no real big decisions left to make in the game. So there was nothing really left for us to talk about and it's kind of gone that way for quite a few months, I think. Well, I'm afraid to say that uh, I think I regret actually joining the DDF. Because uh, I think I joined at the wrong time, right at the end of the Kickstarter. And since then, as Crash said, there hasn't been that much to really discuss. Uh, which has led me to, you know, wonder why I put out the extra cash for it. Yeah, I mean, you say there's been nothing to discuss. I mean, there's been lots of things coming into the game, such as crime and punishments. Uh, that was something that we talked about in the DDF way back when. I mean, what's stopping them from, or what was stopping them, just sort of reopening that topic up and saying, look, this is what we're suggesting. Uh, we're about to make an announcement on it in about three weeks' time. Do you agree? Is there anything we've missed? Anything that we could maybe put in, see what people come back with? I mean, is it just the fact that so many people were commenting that it just takes so much time to go through the DDF that separating uh, the good from the bad was just too labour intensive for them, do you think? I don't know. Think- sorry, I think it could be more along the lines of as a company being beholden to a forum and your customers might be difficult to be able to go forward with the decisions. I mean, sometimes you've got to make the decisions and you've got to be in full control. And we might be at a stage now where Frontier are not... They've not got the luxury of time to spend with the DDF and therefore it's it's kinder to kind of, you know, put us out of our misery with a shovel rather than leave us writhing <laughs> on the ground. <laughs> nice, mate. Absolutely lovely. What a lovely image. Yeah, and I suppose we should just sort of jump and say that, um, jump in and say that the, the statement from uh, Sandro on the forums also said, first, let's just be clear. The reason for the dearth of communications in the DDF recently is basically just down to one thing, time. It's not because of any of your opinions or the way you've expressed them. So no need to beat yourselves up. Do you believe that? I mean, there's been a complete mix of, um, uh, there's always been a mix of personalities in the DDF. Uh, It's always been quite a vocal group and there's always been quite a vocal minority in there. Uh, Do you think that the the tone of the DDF has changed in such a way that it's actually, it's more sort of whinging than being constructive and that's why Frontier decided to go down the road of closing it down? No, I, I, I don't think they. That was the final hammer and nail in the coffin, so to speak. I think it was. Uh, it was always that way from the very beginning. That you know we were quite. I mean, I think passionate. To be to be fair, a lot there was a lot of you know bitching and moaning. Yeah, you're going to have that on a forum. But there was a lot of passion in it. A lot of people wanted it to work out the best way it possibly could. And I can understand why there were so such frustrations when things weren't necessarily being adhered to the way that they some people imagined it being um so yeah i can kind of understand why people would see that it it was that was the reason but i I don't think it was i think sandra was absolutely truthful there where he says that basically the game's kind of out now and there's not a lot of things to discuss that we can't just uh work out ourselves so 
Although I do have to make the point that the point that um, when I first joined the DDF, which uh, I think that was not long after the long before the Kickstarter uh, closed, or no, it wasn't the Kickstarter. It was actually the um, they were were going to close off the uh, the backers program altogether. So I I jumped in at that point. Now, what I did notice is, is it did seem to be quite pleasant. There were several discussions that I was able to take place in. However, as soon as the game, the and I hate to go back to this, but as soon as the offline incident happened, it seemed the whole tone in the DDF just changed, and I would go back there less and less and less because it just didn't seem worth it. Hmm. I know what you mean. I I think that was just a general thing across the entire forums, to be honest. <laughs> Okay, so, I mean, was there the assumption from the get-go, certainly Colin, you joined late, um, but was there an assumption that the DDF would be something that would you know, run for as long as the game was running? Uh, or was it something that we always knew had a sort of a finite, an end point, that uh, it would all be drawn up? Well, I was under the impression that it would always be running, otherwise I wouldn't have joined it when I did. Um, I mean, I, I was under the impression that they'd probably be using this to consult on, uh, you know, the the first person uh, perspective for walking around their ships, or maybe what it's going to be like for planetary landings. But um, as Sandra's pointed out, um, it's not going to be used for that. So, well, you, I, I don't mind shelling out the extra money to help Frontier in the first place, but uh, yeah. <laughs> No, I think you're absolutely fair there, Colin. Certainly my understanding of it, and that is why I was so furious when I saw the announcement, was that you know, the DDF was something that was supposed to just sort of run in the background. It was going to be a sort of a focal group of people that they could come to when they had big updates, such as Thargoids, such as the first person uh, walking around in ships and stations, and uh, the landing on planets, that they were going to always be, there was always going to be a go-to group of people within the game. Um, that they could actually put things over to. And, you know, even if it was just simple things like, you know, uh, we're thinking about doing this, have a quick vote and see if we're missing anything. You know, um, I always thought the DDF would would stay in that capacity. It was not something I always thought, it was not something I thought they were going to sort of wrap up at any point and say, you know, we've come, the end, we've come to the end of this journey, as Sandro suggests. Sandro suggests. Um, and do you think, I mean, is it just us? Are the feeling slightly sort of shortchanged by it slightly bitter or do you think the, yeah, that's the general feeling out there amongst the community? Well, I don't know. I went in and had a look at the forum posts in the DDF and to be honest, it was quite a surprise to see how many people were saying, you know, thank you for the chance and thank you for listening. It's not what I expected to see. I expected to see full on, you know, Armageddon and uh, refund demands and left, right and centre. I too felt, I, I felt for a minute, I thought, you know, it is a bit disappointing that we're not needed anymore because it was kind of like we had this group of players who were invested in the game as a game who would be there to kind of help ground decisions made on business grounds and to make sure that the sort of core of the game was kept honest but they don't need us so (laughs) that's the end result is they don't need us we are sitting doing very very little with um, self kind of importance that's maybe false now we're just not that important at the moment you know and yeah as you say i was expecting to be involved in discussions about what we're going to do on planets and 
what we're going to do when we can get out of the ship and it's not as they say we're not really required so it makes perfect sense to close it down however i do find this posturing over the phrase godlike powers to be a little bit like how can we compensate them and keep them yeah. quiet and can be completely out of point as well because you know i don't understand what godlike power in fact one of those things that we just thought that's obviously a mistake they've said that and they really didn't mean that because there's no way they could put godlike powers yeah. onto a player's hand and the way that it's coming in now is like oh no it's, we're going to give you a power and you're going right but when did you come up with the idea for powers <laughs> was that at the same time as the kickstarter so i think we've just got to accept that frontier is growing and developing and changing and as a result some of the things that we thought will become untrue and not lies just development as the game develops it's going to change you know as as the company develops it's going to change and so therefore we have to accept that there are going to be these changes that we might not like all the time but if they said for example right we you know you're going to give up the ddf we're going to close that down and then that down and in return we're going to give you planetary landings next week would anybody complain <laughs> no of course not um before we go on to uh, the godlike powers in too much detail, let's just back up there and talk about what you've just mentioned about the fact that, you know, you say that Frontier said that we're, we're not needed. Yeah, you know, we're not needed as this group, this core people to try and keep the game honest. Is it a question that we're not needed or we're not wanted? You know, do you think that um, Frontier should have a group uh, that could, in the same way as something like EVE Online has the Council of Stellar Management to, to take forward the community views in one, yeah, one single place so it can be heard by the developers. Yeah, should the DDF not have morphed into something you know, closer to those sort of lines where you know, at least it could have been a sounding, board or about a sounding board or a litmus test with the community to say, look, we're thinking about doing this. Um, it's not for the main forums as of yet. Uh, do you think it's the right direction to go in or you know, should we be looking at other paths? Um, is that not a better way? You've got all these highly passionate people, which, I mean, you can't buy the sort of level, well, you can actually, you can charge them £200, but you can't buy this level of um, of interaction with your user base that Frontier had in the palm of their hands with the DDF. You know, other companies would kill to have this sort of um, player base and this sort of um, committed level of interaction with their community and it just seems that frontier just kind of said well it's a little bit too difficult to manage it's a little bit too time consuming to, to deal with you so you know rather than put any more resource into it we're just going to quietly close it down john yeah i think you hit the nail on the head there it does feel like it's it's more of an administrative burden to them than uh, and they're, they're losing out on what they could have gained in it i really loved the idea of it morphing into something like what you said there, the, the council in uh, um, EVE Online, and it's a real shame that it didn't grow into that. I think there was always potential for that to happen, but it just it just didn't take off. It didn't have that same level of uh, of interaction and stuff going on with it, which was a real shame. I, I really wanted it to go that way, and sadly it isn't. I, I still think they need some kind of fan-sounding board, exactly what you've hit there, and perhaps they need some secret little community going on on the forums. It would be nice. It would be nice to have something like that, I think, and it, I think, and it would be valuable for them. Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. But again, if you close it down to a, a secret little community on the forums, uh, you lose all your transparency and you lose some of the trust of your, your player base because the DDF was such a large uh, group of people. I mean, it wasn't as large as the, the player base as a whole, but it was a decent uh, yeah. It was a decent standard. Uh, it was a decent sample of people amongst the game. So you always knew that even though you had some mad ideas in there, uh, there was enough people in there so that those mad ideas weren't going to go to the top of the pile and, uh, and mm. frontier developments think that's the will of the community. Uh, I just think it's yeah, it's a little bit short-sighted for Frontier to have such a, you know, a great resource. And it's something that David Braben talked about at length during the development cycle. Um, you know, it's been so good to interact with the players and you know, they changed a lot of their design as they're going through the actual development stage based on what people have fed back to them. It just seems a little bit short-sighted rather than putting any more resource into it uh, to just sort of close down the DDF and you know, draw it to an end. Um, but let's uh, let's not go too far down that path. Let's uh, talk about these godlike powers all the DDF members are going to get at long last. All these godlike powers that most of us, if we're honest, really didn't expect or want. It was more of a sort of. Would everybody agree? It was more of a sort of a throwaway comment during the development cycle. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I didn't really want to have anything more than any other player in the game. I wanted to be able to interact and play the game on the same level as everyone else. So I wasn't really concerned about having uber abilities within the game. So do you therefore think that these, uh, you know, this discussion that Frontier put up, these, you know, we're just trying to figure out how it is that we, we, we sort out this godlike power thing um, is just a way of them sort of, I don't know, giving some sort of compensation or giving a sort of a, you know, a cherry on top of the cake for the DDF as they close us down? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at the term godlike perry, it's so ambiguous it could mean anything. And really, when you think about it, we've had input to be able to craft this galaxy. So doesn't that constitute some form of godlike power? We've, we've been able to guide the hands effectively. So I'm quite happy with what we've done already. I mean, that was to me. That was what the godlike powers referred to. You know, you were going to have godlike powers, and the fact that you would you would understand how this galaxy was being formed, you'd understand how you know landing on planets were going to work. You were going to understand how you know walking around in stations were going to work. You're going to have this sort of this 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 view of the galaxy coming together, and that sort of yeah, omnipresence view of uh, of the of the game you were playing and that to me was the godlike powers yeah that was the meaning of it when it was first sort of touted about when we were talking about it back in the development cycle so i don't think any of us actually wanted something tangible that we could point at and go i'm a ddf member feel my big railgun boom <laughs> yeah well, where's see, my win button <laughs> you say that and that's where if you go into the forums you'll find that's where the community splits a bit more is the term godlike powers with the usual um, oh no it can't be pay to win and then there's other people saying but I wouldn't have bought this if it wasn't a significant advantage to other players and then other people are buying into this concept of the DDF having its own power um, to get behind but as you can imagine if you, you've seen all the discussions and how polarised we all are mm. how could we possibly <laughs> be led to left to try and run a power by committee let's invade Lave. no let's invade Leasty four months later on we've still not agreed on which one we're going to go to so I think you know it's a it'd be nice action and this is where my head eventually got round after the disappointment and thinking well you know what we had our input. We've, you know, we've got to look forward. We cannot 
keep going back to the Kickstarter. At some point, it's got to be over. It's got to be ended. And okay, we all thought DDF would go on forever or as long as it's useful. It's no longer useful. It's a lot quicker than we thought. Having our own power, having a DDF power that no one else can be part of, uh, and I mean that exclusivity because you've got to be able to satisfy these people that want something that no one else can get, so they've got a badge of honour. So if we have a power that's run, you know, not run by the DDF, but a power that we are all part of as a default power that does its own things and we can all get involved in those kind of projects, but also allowing the DDF members to choose another power to be part of as well so that you can be part of the game as much as it is. So kind of like, you know, it, the, the sort of easy um, solution would for us all to be part of a dark wheel or an equivalent underground kind of sexy dark kind of power that we can all be part of that people immediately see and go, ah... He's a DDF member, or was a DDF member, or as it will become over the year, over the years, he's a member of that particular faction, or and that could be quite cool and doesn't require us to break the game or to form a committee. We can then use the in-game mechanics, and all we've really got is this wonderful sort of little badge of honour that's a an unimportant uh, name. Yeah, but they were also talking about, um, yeah, all these powers have a certain perk. So it could be that, okay, so you don't have a win button, but there is a certain perk involved with being a DDF member that gets added to that power. Um, I like to a certain degree what you're saying about it being almost like a badge of honor. I agree with that. However, the way the powers are currently working in terms of them being, you know, you can orchestrate, you can have an input on where you go next and what systems to take over and stuff. Is it possible that actually this is Sandy's way of punishing or getting his own back for all the hours he had to trawl through all the comments and you know, the good stuff and bad stuff that came through with the DDF. He's just thinking to himself, how can I get my own back on this group of people? I know I will make an organization and get them to run it. And then they'll see what I've had to put up with for the last two years. Um, I think it could just be that, you know, I think it's a, it's Sandy's backhanded way of, uh, of, uh, of punishing us for all the endless hours he's had to read the DDF. <laughs> I think that's a bit ambitious. Do you not think so? Oh, no, he's a cunning man is Sandy. He really is quite cunning. But okay, so let's let's um, let's speculate wildly on this. If you were going to have a dark wheel type uh, of power, and it was going to be open to DDF members, and there was going to be a perk associated with that, what godlike perk would you guys want to see in the game? What DDF perk, power perk, would you like, Grant? A fast flounce button. So <laughs> when things get too much, you just press that, it logs you off the game nice and safe, and uh, off you go about your business, and you can come back in. It won't let you log back in for a week until you've calmed down. <laughs> but it'll get you out of any, any battle in-game. So if, yes. if things are just looking too hot, too heated, you can press your flounce power, and that will automatically take you out. I quite like that. that, that that's definitely sort of something the DDF would have in, uh, have in their mind. Uh, John? Um, I'd like a, an I bring friends button to bring everyone in the DDF there simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> an instant teleportation. Okay, exactly. The same thing happened in the DDF whenever Sandy posts an update or Michael posts an exactly, update and everybody yeah. sort of teleported to that thread. <laughs> New topic button. There you go. <laughs> Colin, what would you like to see as a perk? 
I oh, I'm sorry, busted. Colin. Yeah, Colin just dropped off the call. Not a problem. Okay, well, um, let's leave the DDF. We'll we'll watch this space and see what happens with it, and see uh, how. Uh, Frontier Developments decide to play it further down the line. We'll probably come back to it in the next couple of weeks or so and see exactly what's going on. Um, but from being what is a little bit of a downer, let's go on to a massive positive, and that's the introduction to unknown artifacts in the game. Um, this came as quite a surprise. Last week we were talking about the Ask Me Anything with David Braben, and he alluded to, um, he was asked a question about when are we going to see non-celestial bodies, um, things for the explorers to basically get involved with. Uh, and David Braben said, yeah, there. You know, non-celestial artifacts uh, for you to find and explore are already in the game. And then there was a comment back very, very quickly after saying, yeah, we're not talking about that little probe thing flying around the outskirts of the solar system, David. We, you know, we're talking about proper stuff in deep, dark space uh, that we can go and get our teeth stuck into. And David basically agreed, yeah, so was he. So that started the ball rolling uh, and people went off into the void to try and find whatever it was that David was talking about. Michael Brooks came in and said that, you know, when you're out there, you should be listening. And sure enough, people have found unknown alien, well, we say alien, unknown artifacts, um, which, if you do listen to them, have a certain tone about them, which sounds, well, I'm going to say it sounds non-human. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Big squee. Uh, so obviously the speculation is rife that these yeah, it's unknown artifacts are possibly something Thargoid related. Now we've seen pictures of them. If you haven't had a chance to check out the forums and see the pictures or listen to the audio, um, they're basically, they look... Um, trying to describe they look almost like an engine like an alien engine uh, if you think about a car engine with the pistons is it pistons that come off an angle that look like ribs coming up sticking up like spokes um, it, worst worst description of this thing ever but that's kind of what that's kind of what you've got you've kind of got an organic looking alien engine floating in space creating uh, strange and unknown noises now, a few people have picked these things up uh, in their cargo hold and tried to transport them back to civilization. Uh, unbeknownst to them, as soon as they did that, the thing starts eating the ship from the inside out. So the ship starts taking quite a severe pounding. Uh, some people have managed to get them all the way back to civilization. Other people have died en route. Um, but the general consensus of the community at the moment is that these things are basically sound codes that need to be cracked. Um, Grant, John, have you guys come across any of these things yet? No, damn it, I'm searching. <laughs> so, John, you're actively searching for these, are you? Yeah, I, I've been reading up on the hints about where to find them. Um, as best I've come across so far is people are saying that if you look for the strong signal sources and you might find some kind of military convoy, um, then they may be carrying them. So it, those are the ones that I've been looking around for, trying to scan their cargo holds and things like that. So. Okay, so you have to actually take these things out of military convoys, so they're not just floating in space. That's what I've heard, uh, but um, it, there's so much rumour and speculation going around, but that's what I love about it. It's like one of these ARG game type things. It's, it's everyone's guessing about what it is, what, what they are, what they might be, and everything like that. So it's nice to kind of piece together the, the clues and the hints and try and come up with uh, what's real and what isn't. Well, I, I heard a rumour that if you do find them, uh, it's usually two anacondas and a 
Type 9 heavy or, or something similar, mm. large ship. And what they say is that the things that give it away, if you don't have a cargo scanner, something that does give it away is that the radio chatter between them is that they are freaked out by it and what it's doing. Uh, so you could sit and just supervise and have a laugh at the ongoing NPC <laughs> chat. So. But yes, yeah, I mean it's an awesome addition. I mean it kind of it kind of raises one very big big question, which is. Is this the start of the Thargoids appearing? Or something else? Cannot comply. Uh, but what people have also been trying to do is they've been trying to um, speed up the sounds that they've recorded from uh, the artefacts and trying to decode them that way. Grant, if we think we've actually got an example of one that's been sped up 200%, which is yes. the, the suggestion from the community at the moment, this is the best way to listen to them to try and pick up the actual uh, the meaning of the sound. So let's play that. It's the flubs. Personally, I think the sound department have literally just gone to Mike Evans and say, you know, I know you're learning the trombone, so let's just record you trying to learn your scales in the trombone and, and we'll use that as our sound effect. Oh, I think it's what they picked up with gastric, you know, gastric microphones after they'd had all those free pizzas. Also, does anyone else have the overwhelming urge to do the Ada from Close Encounters and do the wee hand actions? Yeah, it does just slightly. <laughs> um, but basically, there's uh, if you if you follow this on Reddit, the the community have really got behind it, and they're really trying to sort of break this down into the various sorts of, uh, of binary and trying to figure out exactly um, what these messages are saying. And uh, it's too complex for me to get my head around, so I can't really talk about it on the show until I have got my head around it. But the the, the idea at the moment is that not all of these uh, artifacts are uh, the same, so it could be that we need to collect as much. Uh, sound recordings from as many different artifacts as we possibly can in order to crack the code of them. So they're not playing the same thing, each one's playing things slightly different. So that I think adds a great element of a community goal uh, to go out there and try and find as many of these things as you can, then bring them all back, record them, and then get them out onto a central site so that the you know, the boffins within the Elite Dangerous community can actually try and decrypt the code and find out what's next in store for us. Uh, I think this has been, yeah, I know it's just started, but I think this is going to be an amazing event for the community. Would you guys agree? Completely. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's the first kind of bit of uh, real in-game lore mystery that's been made available to us, and it's something that none of us have a clue about where it's going to go, and that's, that's really exciting. What, what uh, I actually love about this is the way that everybody's taking different approaches to trying to work out what it means. Uh, some people are, are um, basically trying to reverse engineer what the signal is. They, they're trying to do two complement on what could be a one or a zero to try and work out does that tone in the, th in the message mean that 
that's a digit or something like that. Other people have decided to analyze the markets, which I, I didn't quite get. But then the closer you are to the source, the less money you're going to make from these things. So they're trying to, to pinpoint where perhaps those uh, artifacts could be coming from. I mean, that is quite a, an unusual kind of response but I mean I think if you break it down as, as people would do we'd all and maybe this is our weakness we all would break it down into some kind of binary code or try and bring the maths of it into play to see whether or not we can get coordinates or decode a message um, it could also just turn out to be Duval's um, life support machine sending out signals <laughs> <laughs> one beep for breathe in one beep for breathe out <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting because obviously we know we've got power play coming. Uh, we don't know what is happening next in terms of Frontier's roadmap. I mean, are they going to be doing walking around in ships? Are they going to be doing walking around in stations? Are we doing planetary landings? Or are we going to introduce the Thargoids into the galaxy? Now, if you guys remember from crikey was it the first LaveCon, second LaveCon? uh michael brooks did say that you know we will start to see more of the thargoids um they'll be in the game from the you know from the get-go when it starts um but they're going to always um, but they're going to always be very much sort of like a background encounter as opposed to something that you're gonna you know go in sort of go into witch space or anything like that um certainly a background encounter these things would definitely fit that bill would you not agree colin yeah, definitely. I mean, the one thing that I've always been concerned about the Thargoids is um, let's bring them in very, very slowly. You know, tiny, a little word here or a little little thing like this. Well, this isn't really little the way that everybody's reacted to it. But um, little thing here, little thing there, dropping hints and then slowly building up in the background. And that that's personally how I would approach bringing the Thargoids in. Yeah, John, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I think I've, I've said several times before how I like the fact that they were kind of the invisible invisible antagonist in, in the earlier games in Frontier Elite 2, for example. You didn't see a great deal of them. I like the fact that they're slowly but surely being incrementally introduced back into the game. That, I think that's definitely the way to go. It's It kind of builds that, sus, that su suspense. You don't know what's going to come. You don't know what their, their plans are. You don't know if they're going to just break into full-out war or whether they're going to, you know, maybe slowly uh, infest all of our populated planets with uh, you know various things like 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 little probe things or something, uh, you know. So <laughs> you don't know what's going on. This is the great thing about it. It's really really cool. It's uh, making you think and wonder. Yeah, definitely, uh, and certainly. If people can remember from the first game, there was all those little Thargoids that uh, came off the, the big Thargoid motherships. And people have been suggesting that uh, on these probes, there's tiny little things, like almost little organic fireflies coming off them. And people are saying, well, you know, could that be aliens? Could that be like, you know, mini, mini Thargoids? Uh, obviously, we'll just have to wait and see on this. Uh, it'll be great to follow this story as it goes through over the next month or so and see exactly what people find out uh, and where the where the story takes us. Uh, okay, what we're going to do, we're going to hit another advert and then when we come back, we're going to go straight into Community Corner. I was overseeing the delivery of some slaves to the starport in Exios and a cleaning robot had just washed the floor but not left a warning sign. I had to run after a slave that was escaping and I slipped and fractured my wrist. I was delayed for 10 whole minutes while the, med the medicomp repaired the damage. My time is billable, can I get compensation? Yes, you can. 
I was on a regular trading room back to Seoul and it was my job to repaint the outside of the ship. I was given the wrong kind of EVA clamps. Nothing bad actually happened, but it did give me a fright. Can I get compensation? Yes, you can. I was checking some robots through customs when I distinctly heard an official call the robots clanks. I was deeply offended, even though I'm not a robot myself. That's their word. You're not allowed to use it. Can I claim for moral outrage? Yes, you can. At Cowell and McGrath, we are now taking any kind of legal action. No case too small, no justification too frivolous. If you've been lightly inconvenienced, embarrassed, or in any way put out, then someone should be made to give you money. Don't be a stupid clank. Uh, excuse me? Cowell and McGrath, taking on any case, playing the percentages. Good evening, even, and welcome to Lave Radio News. You join us live tonight with some hot, hot headlines, hostage crisis, and EOTensis turns bloody. This is a fantastic news story regarding two very big groups who have suddenly had some kind of fracas, or what would you call it, a mild disagreement. <laughs> this story reads, a tense hostage situation at EOTensis on Tuesday morning turned bloody as East India Company members failed to negotiate the liberation of an Imperial Trader from the Code, a well-known pirate group. The Imperial Trader, unaffiliated with either group, was destroyed after an attempted escape, resulting in tens and millions of credits and property loss, as well as small-scale skirmishes between the two organizations throughout the night. EIC members later went on to admit that poor communication and victim anxiety had led to this tragic outcome. Though it's unclear exactly what the hostage believed, Commander Trillin is quoted as saying, The members of Code appear to be getting a little jumpy and I started to worry that things were not going to end well. I con- I contacted Commander Egg90 asking if he was ready to run, if the proverbial hit the fan, but I think he misinterpreted that because at that very second he boosted and was destroyed by the members of Code. <laughs> Which frankly, if we took that from Commander Egg90, someone said, are you gonna run? Do you feel lucky, punk? I think I would boost my ass out of that place too. After the destruction of the trader, chaos broke out as both sides opened fire on one another. The fighting was reported to have lasted for several hours with both sides suffering major losses and damages and are currently estimated in the hundreds of millions of credits. Gallon News reached out to the code who had this to say. The approximate ship destruction estimate is currently sitting at three EIC deaths for every one code death. The code apologizes for the destruction of all these EIC vessels, but they will destroy anyone who gets in their path of riches and plunder. And that article was written by Dick McKinley of Galnet News. So that was quite a good um, player group battle going on in game and reaching Galnet News, I think, anyway. Yeah, it's great to start seeing more of the actual uh, larger community bases within the game actually starting to appear on the Galnet news and sort of, you know, forging a bit of uh, a bit of a storyline out in the game for themselves. Now, obviously, we've seen that in Code as well, and we've seen it with uh, Crimson State. Uh, but I think this is definitely the way to go. Uh, 
it'll be interesting. I know David Braben said in the Ask Me Anything that the group management and things like that isn't coming in uh, power play, but it is something they're looking at doing further down the line. And things like the code, things like the East India Company, I think they do have a place to play in the wider galaxy. I don't think it's just yeah, great big teams of griefers. Yeah, they really are quite important for sort of building uh, a fan-made fiction to uh, to go in the galaxy. Absolutely. I mean, there was a, another story which was a kind of a, a I think uh, I picked it to sort of highlight tonight, which seems to be possibly an indication of what one of the minor factions in the power play might actually be. So certainly it's a bit of a hint, so I will just hammer this one out with a little uh, sting. Let's see if I can get this right, because you know what I'm like. Pressing the wrong buttons is my forte. <laughs> Prism Senator Prism Prism Senator planning a new voyage. Leaked images from the Avalon shipyards appear to indicate that Senator Kahina Tajani Lorenz, Imperial Courier, the Seven Veils, is undergoing a significant refit just weeks after her recent visit to the Sol system. Security at the Avalon shipyards, which are owned and managed by Persephone, uh, Persephone, Persephone, I don't know. The station is extremely tight. The images themselves are grainy and ill-defined, but seem to show that the drive shields and possibly the frameshift drive components have been significantly upgraded. Sources within the Empire note that the Senator Loran has been seen at several significant social events with Imperial Space recently. Despite this, she has not refrained from speaking to any member of the press since returning from Sol. Speculation is rife as to her involvement with the ongoing struggle for power within the Senate. Lauren has yet to declare her support for any of the leading contenders, a fact which some political pundits believe is a strong indication that she may be considering her own play for power. So definitely, I think that uh, you're going to be able to align yourself with Lauren. I'm not sure what she stands for. Well, that sounds like the general election. <laughs> uh, it'll be interesting when the powers come out as to uh, as to where they stem from but it'll be quite cool to have one from uh, from obviously drew wagar's uh, fiction filtering into the game on the subject of drew wagar he's posted on facebook um along the lines of don't bother asking i'm not telling <laughs> uh, i think that possibly means they haven't told him <laughs> Uh, great stuff. Any more grants, or are we going into other community things? Ooh, I think it would be safe to say that uh, th that concludes the news for now. <laughs> now back to your usual program. And here's the weather. <laughs> Here's the weather with our weather, lovely weather woman, uh, Miss Ford. Miss Ford, what's on your board? <laughs> As you can tell, we're having some little issues with um, Foz and his wonderful internet seems to be dropping out on him. So he was about to go into Community Corner this week. And there has been quite a few um, things running in the community. Uh, I'm not sure if you were party to any of them, Colin. Did you see Mad Dog stream gaming against Alzheimer's? I was. I was there for the very last moments when he broke the five grand uh, barrier. And um, I must admit, it was quite moving. I'd, I'd made a little contribution myself. And uh, for Mad Dog, who, who 
it's got a bit of a reputation of a potty mouth. Let's be honest. <laughs> 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 for for him to be welling up, and, uh, once he passed the five grand mark, it was it was a wonderful thing to see. Um, I mean, he was streaming the game so that he could. They uh, was raising money for memory of Terry Pratchett. Uh, raising money for the Alzheimer's Society, and for for three days he played the game, and uh, I think that's a fantastic achievement. And judging by his reaction, I think he wasn't expecting that level of support either. Yeah, it was it was a fantastic uh, send off we had because at the end of his streams now it's been going on for a couple of weeks actually, hadn't it? With different streams, we had Selazen doing a couple of streams, we had Kate Russell doing some streams to raise funds for it. So I mean, he but he was the kind of core host for this particular fundraiser and the thing that I remember will take with me for a long time now is the the point at which we'd made that target and he became, you know, quite emotional. Uh, yeah. as, you, as you say, he's known for having a potty mouth, or the kind of potty mouth that you have to stir with a stick to actually flush it down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Feel but, sorry for the stick. <laughs> <laughs> it was that wonderful moving moment when we all lined up to give him that sort of 21-gun salute as he hyperspace jumped out of the system at the end of his stream. Now, there are videos of this available on YouTube that you can watch, or on, in fact on Mad Dog's um, own Facebook page. And that was the most beautiful kind of acknowledgement of his task and I think that's possibly what set him off was the fact that we were all caught up in that moment we were all enjoying the kind of significance of his success for fundraiser for a fantastic cause and uh, yeah I think yeah. I'll take that with me with one of my favourite community moments yeah definitely no, that, it, it was just sort of um, uh, the moment when we passed, we passed that goal and and everybody just uh, lined up for him and off. I, he went to pieces which <laughs> it, it was nice in, a, in an emotional type way if you see what I mean yeah definitely and there's been another emotional um, event in the community this week as well um, on the uh, Elite Dangerous Community Facebook group um, there was a post on the 28th of April by Nigel B who says it it's my sad duty to inform the community that we have lost one of our own commanders last night. My old school friend, Chris Billington, from some 20 years ago, whom I recently found and got back into touch with on this very forum, has passed away from a sudden heart attack. Fly safe, commander, wherever your frame shift drive takes you. Um, lots of people came on to uh, that thread and posted their condolences. Some people knew Chris from the game. Most people didn't, in fairness. Um, but just the... Yeah, the outpouring from um, from the actual community in terms of sympathies and stuff. I mean, this was a guy who, you know, if you check his Facebook page, yeah, he was posting about the uh, yeah, the Nepal uh, earthquake one day and was you know gone the next. It was it was that sudden. So um, it was touted that it would be really nice to do something in game. So there was the Chris Billington memorial flight uh, where basically we got together as many people as we could with um, wireframe. Uh, or dark skins on their cobras uh, flew out to lave and you know formed up a formation like a got an honor guard um, for a two minute remembrance of Chris uh, and made a collection as well for you know Chris's family uh, and it was it, it was done very very quickly it was organized in the space of a couple of days uh, but yet again the elite dangerous community rallied round 
Um, everybody got into their Cobras, got their wireframe skins or their dark skins on, flew out to Lave and formed you know, this sort of V-shaped formation in front of Lave's son. And it was it was something quite moving to be part of. And I know uh, all of us on the on the show tonight. I know Colin, you couldn't get there in the end, but you were still mm. there as it was all going on. Uh, what was it like to be to be a part of that, uh, John? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a lovely tribute, and it, it's such a sad thing to to have to be involved in. But at the same time, it was just wonderful to see everyone band together and make it happen. And you know, it's, it's just you know, it's, it's just nice that things like this can be can be done in the community still. And uh, you know, there is that kind of sense of camaraderie and sticking together in there, which is which is really nice to see. I must admit. It was fascinating listening to everybody calling the maneuvers, even though I couldn't get into the group. Um, it sounded that I, I was quite impressed by the the amount of effort that everybody put in just to make sure those those photos and things came out right. I thought I thought that was a, a superb effort. Yeah, it, it took quite a bit of coordination. I think uh, none of us were really any kind of experts, any kind of formation flying. So, you know, like like. Chris was saying there we really just kind of got together in in no time at all and just figured it out and uh, you know we, you know we did it all for Chris which which was lovely and like like we're saying you know it's it's just nice to be able to get together and be involved in something like that and help out in the great community it's real good it was yes I mean I think um, the fundraiser we've managed to raise over two hundred pounds which is a, a wonderful amount to raise and. Um, We'll try and put a wee link if anyone you know feels that they would like to donate uh, to that. We'll put a wee link in the chat somewhere. <laughs> I'll figure something out, <laughs> um, and you can contribute to that fund as well. But it's just nice to think that we've met through a game, and the friendships that have been struck up are are more significant than otherwise might be. You know, this this game means a lot to us. It's brought us all together, and we're not willing to leave a man behind or at least not pay our respects to his loss. Very true. So we'll have a look and see what else is in the notes for next while we wait for Fozzer to reappear. Always, I mean, it was a, a, the pictures are amazing. I believe they're going to put up a, yeah. a page, um, or there's going to be a page put up at some point that will be public that we will share a link to, and we'll have a donation link on that. I think that might be the best way of doing it. So they're just sort of getting the some pictures and a video of the event ready so that we can share that with everybody so it's going to be awesome Yeah, and I believe it was mentioned that uh, it should show up in the next week's newsletter as well in case anyone misses it fantastic, it's definitely one of those worthy, worthy, worthy moments, well in the absence of Fozza being back I think we should move on to the questions for this week and uh, judging by that, I can see we've got a question from our good buddy Rory Scarlett, who says the thing he's not thing he's not experienced yet, and his guessing is not in game yet, is miss jumps. He doesn't miss mm. being thrown into the deepest nowhere, but at least they meant they all you always carried more than enough fuel to get to your destination. And weren't there supposed to be dark systems to perhaps miss jumps could land you at one? Um, I, any of you guys have any sort of clues or I mean dark oh, systems I've heard people talking yeah. about dark systems but it's been more along the lines of you know you're in an asteroid belt when the sun mm. goes to the other side of the planet and you're left <laughs> in darkness um, but I'm not sure do we have any dark systems no, no. This was something that was referred to a long time ago, wasn't it, Colin? The the the, the idea of um, systems which don't have a stellar body at the centre; they have some kind of uh, you know just a few planets orbiting each other, that kind of thing. So that's that's the idea of a dark system, I believe. 
Uh, yeah, I know that they've been used in the fiction quite a lot, but mm. as of yet, um, well, I've gone, th well, you've gone all the way to the center of the galaxy and I'm <laughs> going out 500 light years in the, in the other direction. And to be honest, I haven't seen anything that could fit that category yet. Yeah, and I, I believe it's one of those things that just didn't make the cut in, in the launch of the game, that uh, it didn't add enough to the gameplay to warrant the effort to put those kind of things in. Um, it would have been a really nice thing to see, and I know you know, David would be really keen to get every kind of realistic astronomical object he possibly could get into the game, but I think it's just one of those things where at the moment it doesn't make a lot of sense, but they might make a return at some point. I mean, uh, you know, the idea of having pirate bases hidden away in dark systems that uh, don't show up on the, on the stellar maps and things like that. Surely that's the easiest system to implement. It's not exactly going to have a very big graphical overhead, is it? You just, you know, black. True, but I think it's much like the planetary landings. There has to be some meaningful reason to go there. And at the moment, we don't have pirate bases. We don't have anything like that gameplay-wise that would be a good reason for you to go to a dark system. So there's no point really implementing them. It's not that they can't be done or it's too much effort. It's just that there really is no point in them being there just yet. Um, I'm hoping that changes. I would really like to see some interesting gameplay come out of the idea of hidden bases in asteroids. You know, we, we love that that concept piece. I've got right on my wall now the, uh, the pirate base carved out of the side of a uh, an asteroid. Love that kind of idea of things being in the game. But there has to be a meaningful gameplay reason, gameplay reason to want it in the game. Otherwise, it's just not worth the effort of developing it. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Um, and on the other subject of misjumps now, as far as I'm concerned, uh, misjumps are in the game. That's when you're in a wing and you've left yourself nav-locked to somebody where you currently are and you try and jump away <laughs> only to be brought straight back in. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think you know having malfunctions in frameshift drives and doing misjumps is something that would be really quite exciting. I, I like yeah. the idea of it. I always did enjoy them in the, in the original game, but they they had a a place in the game that it encouraged you to save often because oftentimes when you get in a, a misjump, there was no recovery from it. It was just reload. You can imagine it now. It would be self destruct. You know, there would be no no recovery from misjumps. So again, it's one of those things that they they have no real gameplay. Uh, advantage of having them in there unfortunately I think it would be nice to have a, a forced misjump again I would love that button to be able to hold alt when I when I fire at my FSD and confuse people trying to chase me to think that I've gone there that would be lovely but at the moment I, I don't think it adds anything to the game that you can't already do so I think well, judging by sorry yeah, judging by the results uh, in the fiction when people did that, and it, I wouldn't recommend it at all. <laughs> <laughs> you, could, you could kiss your jump drive goodbye when you come out at the other end. Exactly. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, misjumps sound fun. I mean, to me, as long as you've got you know, a ship that can handle uh, coming out the other end, the last thing you want is to doing a starship Voyager ending up over the far side of the galaxy and then suddenly realizing, I didn't pack a fuel scoop because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm only doing cargo runs, help. <laughs> and you can you imagine the, how long it would take somebody with a with a whole load of drones to come all the way over the side of the galaxy? Oh dear, don't want to think about it. Ain't no. gonna happen. But yeah, that's that's the thing, isn't it? That, like I said, there has to be some meaningful gameplay reason why these things would be in there and what, and what that mechanic would do. And I'd love to see these things flesh out and have more things like that at some point in the future. But for the time being, at least, there doesn't seem to be a valid reason why you would want to do it. So it's a shame. 
So it'll be it something is. fun when it comes in. It'll be, you know, I think they've got to add these wear and tear ramifications, you know, rather than having you not being able to jump, it can maybe start jumping and you're getting a couple of sparks as it's charging up and you're going, oh, please, 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 please let me arrive where I'm going. <laughs> um, so I think it's, got, it's definitely got a, a, a flavour to add to the game, but yes, we'll have to wait and see, Rory. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe yeah. we can get an exclusive from, um, I don't know, blackmailing Ed with some photographs from LaveCon this year. <laughs> But but always remember, if you want to avoid those kind of things, always kind of make sure your maintenance is kept up to date on your ship. That's that's the whole key for avoiding them. That's, that's right. A few Titan nuts can spare you a crap ship. Um, <laughs> we'll move on to our next question, which is from Martin Bergren. And he has just listened to the episode where we discussed what to do after reaching the elite, you know, after completing the game, essentially, once you've got to the point where you've got the top ships, the Anaconda, you've got billions of cash and all these kind of things. And he says that he didn't, you never heard us talk a, prop, uh, a proper answer, or we only sort of went into power play. And are there any short answers to the questions of to what to do once you've reached that level? I think the problem is that power play represents a huge significant amount of things for people to do once they're there. And certainly that's one of these things where your, your money kit's there. But I think if you were to ignore power play and talk about the game as it currently is, then you've got flipping systems, which is something you can still do. Um, head out into deep space and do some exploring. Uh, anything else, guys? Um, I think I think you've basically covered the two main things. The one thing that you can that you've really got to do is you got to kind of decide for yourself. This is the whole point of Elite because you know you are writing your own story. So it, if you want to set yourself a target, to, like some people have to say, go all the way around the circum, or circumnavigate the entire galaxy, <laughs> good luck with that, but they want to try it anyway. <laughs> so you set yourself a goal and see if you can do it. Um, yeah. I think that that is the key point, isn't it? Is if you're if you're looking at these three icons on the side panel there, and you're thinking that's the end game, I think you're looking at the game wrong. <laughs> I think that's oh, the key yeah. point, really. There, there's so much you could be doing, getting involved in the meta game and everything else that's in there. I mean, I'd quite like if I had you know, virtually infinite amount of money and I'd done everything else in the game, I'd just like to go out there in a in a Type Nine and feed the pirates. You know, <laughs> that would be would be great fun. Yeah, shoot me, yay, woo! You know, just throw, you know, just throwing palladium their ways. Sort of thing like that, just just to see what happens, you know. I, I just invent crazy things to do. <laughs> Try ramming them and see how many credits you can ram up in a in well, how many us, if you try and ram them enough. How many of us are playing the game to get the funds to play the game? If you understand what yes. I'm trying to say, we're yeah. we're trying to get to the point where we don't have to grind so that we can then take on our role and play our characters. And I think there's probably a lot of that. There isn't. A, so for some of us, there is no completion date and and time. There's no target. In fact, we're chasing an amount of money that doesn't exist because we're never going to stop. But you want to get to that point where you can then take on your character and play that role, whether you be a pirate, whether you be uh, a diplomat, or whether you want to be a uh, you know good-hearted. Uh, what would you call them, a Samaritan who flies around helping out people, whether you want to be that rogue um, fighter pilot who's you know charging money from people to, to help them out, whether you want to be a wingman to cover people. There's so many different things that you can take on as role play, but you've got to have the funds there to support it. So 
grind, then play. So I can't see a completion where you end up stop being somebody, if that makes any sense. <laughs> Not makes no sense at all, but I know what you're saying. Um, okay, well. That'll do it for the questions. If we haven't had a chance to get to your question, don't worry about it. We'll park it. We'll come back to it on the next show. But uh, just a quick couple of shout-outs, a couple of iTunes uh, reviews, one from Paul in Kent. Thank you very much, Paul. And another one from uh, Candir. Uh, We're currently up to 90, I think it's 97 or 98 uh, reviews on iTunes. So it would be great if you wouldn't mind just spending a couple of minutes giving us a review on iTunes to get us over the 100 100 review mark. That would be quite a a milestone for the show. So that would be superb. Um, Colin, who have we got on the IRC channel? Okay, in the IRC channel, we have uh, underscore P-OA. We've got uh, good old commander Archim Baust. Please tell me I've got it right this time. Commander Babster, Commander Darklike, Dampire, Ermus Boone, Errant Thought, Fiverr, Greyblade, High Bite, Hopper Mallow, Hop Thrust Sea, I'm Gintost, oh, Crash, who's Crash? Kipple, 1962. I've got no idea. Mashed Spud, uh, Polanus, Mr. Tea Time, Nelson, Nyers, Rhythm, uh, Starren, Silo, Taquin, Tubby, and Zenok. <laughs> yeah, you see, this is why I always get other people to read the IRC chat channel out because uh, I always stumble over all the names. Uh, for those of you that have been in game outside Lave Station, I have noticed that there has been quite a few of you. Unfortunately, my internet connection in the high winds has been manic, so I kept on uh, dropping out. So at the moment, I can't see anybody in Lave Station now that I've jumped back into it. But if you have been outside Lave Station, uh, a massive thank you for coming and joining us on the show. It's always great to see so many people outside the. Uh, outside the station whilst we're recording. <laughs> I'm an open group because I didn't join the Fozzer group. So I'm here with the Daddy Baddy. Uh, what did you? How did you pronounce that, Colin? Uh, Arkin Baust. And also we have a new commander who I know is listening. He's a friend of mine called Ventura. Hello, Ventura. And that's it. There's just three of us in an open group and we've been playing Sidewinder... Derm, you know, demolition derby while we still can, except that we're doing it in a hauler and an eagle. And funnily enough, <laughs> the, me and my little eagle keeps losing. They can't work this one out. It's your, it's uh, your it's, friend's it's... commander name's first name Ace, by any chance? <laughs> yes, <Nice>. it is. <laughs> Well, it's a shame that I can't get into the uh, the private Fozzer group because there was, I think, around about 30 ships in there. It's the, the, num- the largest number of ships I've seen outside the station for a while. So, again, thank you. Sorry we can't give you a shout-out, but thank you for coming along. Um, well, that's it for another episode of Lave Radio. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, then you can email info at laveradio.com, uh, Facebook forward slash Lave Radio, at Lave Radio on Twitter. You can join the Skype chat channel by adding Fozzer 101 to your Skype contacts and just let me know it's about Elite. Or you can join our TeamSpeak server where commanders come out and hang out and chat. That's laveradio.teamspeak3.com. Thanks to Grant, to John and to Colin for joining me tonight. Uh, until next time, fly safe. And if you can't do that, fly dangerous.
Two seconds, I'll be right back. <laughs> 